Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14, please. Be in John 14 in just a few moments is our leading text. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, we're glad you're here. My name's Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, just grateful you're, you've come to worship with us. And uh, we worship Jesus here, and we want you to just feel comfortable to joining in in that process uh, today. Uh, we're in this series called The Return on the Return. And this takes us back to a year ago. For many of you, this is a review, and for some of you, it's an introduction. Uh, A year ago, we started this series called The Return, focusing on opportunities, or as we use the vision of a door that God put in front of us that we felt we needed to unlock and walk through. Opportunities like, as Brad mentioned a moment ago, planting a church in Joplin for people that live south of 7th Street that drove out here to the farm. Talked about making some investments uh, internationally in missions. Uh, building more youth space for our middle school and junior high ministry that's exploding. And you see that skeleton out there on the pad uh, as you drove on our campus. There were six opportunities we talked about last week. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to simply go to ccochurch.com and look at the video that explained the status update of where we are with all of those. If you're unfamiliar with the entire return campaign, I'd encourage you to go out into the foyer to the information center and get... uh, a booklet about the return that explains what we're trying to do in this two-year period of time, which, be- which began last December and will go all the way through 2015. And one of the things that we talked about when we talked about these initiatives and the opportunity is we could not afford to do it as a church as we are. It would take a commitment over and beyond what we were currently giving financially as well as par- uh, partnering in, and that it would take some more trust. And so we realized that every one of us in our walk with God uh, are at a different level of trust. Uh, Some of us are just beginning this journey of realizing who Jesus is and wanting to be a part of it. And some of us are veterans that have been uh, serving the Lord for a number of years and have learned that trusting him is one of the greatest highs you can experience. It's sustainable and it's purposeful. So what we'd like to do is just to to show you a little video clip that explains some of the steps, uh, especially in our, our finances and our treasures, some of the steps that we may need to make and each one of us being challenged to take one more step. Let's watch this video clip. The first level is learning trust. You have not given to your church, and you want to become generous towards God's kingdom. You might commit to giving financially and of your time and talents to see God's work done in your life. The next level is experiencing trust. You have given to your church, but not consistently. You might commit to giving regularly with an intention to serve others and bring glory to God. The next level is established trust. You give regularly to your church, but less than 10% of your annual income. You might want to take a step of responding to God with a tithe, 10% of your income, as an act of submission. The next level is sacrificial trust. You have learned the blessing of tithing 10% and want to grow in trusting God more in all things. You want to not only bring a tithe, but to be open and available to sacrificially use what you have been blessed with to serve God and experience His guidance. The final level of trust is abundant trust. 
you are investing in God's kingdom with generosity and sacrificial faith, and you might want to begin to give away more than you keep and live in the daily need for the Lord. Five levels of trust, and God is asking each of us to take the next step with him. You see, it's, it's really easy, and this is one of my fears. I just confessed it all three hours. This is that moment where as a preacher, you stand up and you know exactly what I'm talking about and it's uncomfortable. But, and I, I don't say this to be justified personally. I, I just think it's the truth. If we're going to preach the gospel here, we're going to have to talk about uncomfortable circumstances sometimes. As we face the challenges of trust, last week in our series, we talked about how we go into what we treasure and how our treasuring shapes our souls. You were given a card uh, at, at the seat that you're sitting in. If you're sitting on it, feel free to take that out. And uh, I'd like you to look at it for a moment. This card is what we handed out last year uh, to the people of our church who call Christ Church their home. And we challenged every family to take one of these cards and make a decision on how to invest. We calculated that to do the ministry that we do, our normal budget, uh, over two years, and to be able to do these initiatives, we needed uh, to raise uh, over the two-year period of time, a totality of about 9 to $10 million. This congregation uh, pledged last year to give $9.3 million over that two-year period of time. At this point in time, uh, Alan Stanley, who oversees all of our stewardship and finances, uh, Alan told me that we're at 43, if I remember correctly, 43% of the two-year cycle at this moment, and we've received about 44% of the estimated giving. So this church has proven to be generous and faithful. At this point in time, for the 9.3 that was promised, uh, we've received about 4.3 million, which is, is, is awesome. It's allowed us to give Hope City a great, healthy start. It's allowed us to start on our new building out there and to make some investments in missions. Some of the other things, as we mentioned last week, we've held back to wait till the second year of the challenge to make sure the finances are here. One of the things I appreciate about our elders, and I love being in submission to them, is that they're not going to spend money we don't have. They're not going to put us deeper in debt for something that's not being affirmed by the body. So these cards that you have in front of you, I'd like to explain it to you. On the left side of the card... I said, this is my first commitment to the return. And that's for those of you that in the last year who have made Christ Church your home and you feel like this is the church you give to and that you participate in, this is your church family, we would ask you to simply fill out that left side of the card. And you would simply put down there, in the next 13 months, from December all the way through December of 2015, the completion of that year, that with your normal giving and what you'd be willing to sacrifice over and above that, to help us accomplish these initiatives, that you would write that amount in and turn this card in. For those of you that turned in a card last year and have been with us for the entirety of this challenge, let's look at the right side of the card. You would simply check that you pledged an amount last year. At this time, you put on the card X amount. And just let us know that. Many of you, if you have not already received it, will receive a giving statement to show you where you are, as well as to give you this annual report, which was brilliantly put together by our creative arts team. And I'm grateful for it. And it will answer questions about what's happened because of your investment. And if you haven't received it already, you'll probably get it in the mail in the next day or two. And if not, just call the church office uh, and, and we'll get you a, a copy of that. But you write your pledge amount. And my wife and I will write the amount that we put last year. And then there's two choices for us underneath that, for those of you that have turned a card in. The first is, the amount that I put last year, I fully am praying and expect to be able to give that amount in the remainder of the campaign. 
The next box is, I need to adjust my return. And I want to tell you about this because I want to talk to you as a pastor and a friend. Some of you, life happened. You lost your job. Your health took a turn for the worse. You wanted to do X, but now you can only do Y. Be faithful to the Y. That's fine. And we understand. This is the way it works. We didn't ask anybody to to sign their life away. We said, this is what you dreamed you could do. And by faith, you're going to try to do it. So if you need to adjust that down or up, feel free. If God's blessed you and you feel like this is something you want to contribute more than you thought you could a year ago, just adjust that number. And on the 23rd, two weeks from today, we're going to collect these cards. You can put them in the, in the offering baskets. There will be some boxes out in the foyer, and you can put those cards in there. We're asking everybody who calls Christ Church their church to fill out this card so we can make appropriate plans as to the remaining amount needed. Will we be able or anticipate receiving that? And if we do... And someone asked me this morning, I love their faith. They said, so what if we get more than the five million remaining? All of that will go on our current indebtedness. That doesn't change. We will pay off our, our, our debt, which we're on top of anyway, but we're going to pay that off so that all the money that's received goes toward the future and not toward the past. So if you have any questions about that, you can email me or call the church office because we're family and you've got a right to ask questions. And so we hope you'll take advantage of that. But please take this card, keep it, pray through it, And you can drop it off anytime you want, but we're going to ask them to be collected on the 23rd of November. And it's pre-Thanksgiving celebration. If you're not going to be available those weekends because of family uh, activities and holidays, then you can mail it in or drop it off when you're at the church. And uh, we'd appreciate you praying through that and seeing what God's going to do. Last week we talked about your treasures shape your soul. And what you invest in, if if it's not going to outlast your life, has been wasted. And if you invest in what's going to outlast your life eternity, the shape of your soul will be made eternal. So today's word is faithful. It's a common word in scripture. When you read the Bible, you find the expectation of faithfulness on all of us. It says that God is faithful and keeps his promise. His love endures forever. He expects his people to be faithful. He's called us to faith. Jesus talked about us being faithful servants or being faithful in the little tiny things of life so that he can empower us to be faithful in the greater things. We learn how to be faithful. He talked to us about being faithful to him as Lord. And he talked to to us about being faithful ministers of the gospel. To the point in which, on that final day, he will say to us, well done, thy good and servant. So you can see that faithfulness is based on our trust in him, And that's why today we're going to talk about the word truth. Can we be faithful to God? And if we can, based on what? And I'm going to venture today that part of the blessings that the Lord's given us that we need to be faithful to is truth. Look at John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, then you will believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas, I love Thomas. The only thing that's ever wrong with Thomas is he says what the rest of us are thinking. And he gets gooned over it. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? It's a fair question. Jesus has talked in parables. Jesus has talked sometimes in these images. And the disciples are like, we don't get it. He would tell a parable. They'd wait till that night. Lord, what were you talking about? And Thomas simply says, 
We don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's a very exclusive terminology he uses. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to have you talk back to me a little bit this morning. I know that's weird here, but let's go, we're going to go ahead and try it anyway, all right? College students, back me up on this. Let's teach these folks how to do this. Do you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Thank you. In my pocket is a watch. For those of you in college, I'll explain what a watch is later, okay? It's what your phone now does for you. Probably better than this. But I have a 100-year-old pocket watch, at least 100 years old. And it has great value. It was my grandfather's. When he passed away, he had four grandsons, and he gave us all a pocket watch. This has sentimental value to me that you couldn't put a number on, and it has some financial value. I've been told varying amounts, but I haven't had it looked at in 15 years, so I have no idea what it's worth. It keeps time. It's clicking right now, and it's accurate. And I don't carry it very much. It stays in my sock, in my sock underwear drawer in a little plastic bag with a bunch of jewelry I don't wear anymore. Things like tie clips, I'll explain that later another time too. And cufflinks and things like that that I w- I've been given. Things that I never use. But it sits in that sock drawer in a little box, which means it's pretty worthless. Because although it has financial value, it's only accurate twice a day by accident. What good is it? And the reason I bring that illustration up is I think sometimes we treat the truth like a pocket watch. We know its value. We know it's effective. We know it works. But we put it away for fear that it'll get ruined if we use it, if we take it out into the street, if we really rely on it to be accurate. Are you with me? Have I extended the word picture enough? I hope so. So what I'm going to ask you today is, you say to me, and I, and I trust you, that you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, how does that truth change anything in your everyday life? Because if it's kept in a sock drawer with a bunch of jewelry you no longer wear, it doesn't matter if you have a pocket watch or not. And if the truth is kept away from your real-life existence and the choice you make, you have a concept of the truth, but you don't have the truth. Jesus said, without hesitation, he was the truth. You see, we're not given the truth so we'll be right. We're given the truth so that we can live in the power of the kingdom right now and invite other people into it. This is not an intellectual superiority I'm talking about today when I say the truth. I'm talking about the power and the guidance to live life. Let me demonstrate it this way. What did Jesus do with the truth and what do we learn from that? First of all, Jesus came to demonstrate truth. He showed us what the truth looked like each and every day. Man has been searching for the truth from the beginning. In the entirety of all mankind, the pursuit of truth and knowledge is a part of how we're wired. Eve, Adam, ate from the tree of what? The fruit of knowledge. What were they after? Knowledge. The writer of Ecclesiastes, I tend to believe it's Solomon. Solomon said he spent his entire life reading and learning and seeking knowledge and wisdom and experience so he could understand what the purpose of life was. We're all always searching for what is true. You see, Jesus came to reveal the truth. He came to tell us who God was, who he was, who I am, who you are, and why we're all here. And he revealed that in the way he lived. He revealed that in the way he died. And he revealed that in the fact that he rose again. 
All of that was revelation. And those that paid attention to what he was revealing learned what it was and who he was. And by learning who he was, it's as Michael DeFazio said on this stage uh, earlier in our Corrective Lens series uh, two months ago, he said that the truth is not a proposition, it's a person. And the truth is found in Jesus, not in the ideas about him. So when Jesus came and revealed who he was, people around him got it. Not all of them did because they weren't open to it. But those that were got it. Let me give you an example. When the demons came into the presence of Jesus, what did they do? Well, I can show you four or five incidents, but I'll just give you one. In Matthew chapter 8, he called out, What do you want with us, son of the most high God? He knew who Jesus was. Ask Judas, who betrayed Jesus. When Jesus revealed himself through the crucifixion, who he was, and Judas responded, Matthew 27, I have betrayed innocent blood. Ask the apostle Paul, who killed the followers of Jesus, executed them for their belief in him. When he had Jesus reveal himself on the road to Damascus, he was converted, changed. He understood the truth. And in many places, he declared who Jesus was. One was Philippians 3, that nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Ask Pilate what happened when he quizzed Jesus and questioned him in his mock trial. Pilate's conclusion was, I find no fault in this just man. Ask the Roman centurion. Dr. Timothy Keller says he believes this is the first proclamation of the gospel upon the completion of the sacrifice. And when he died, the Roman centurion, a trained killer, saw the way the man died, and he said these words, surely this is the what? The son of God. Ask Thomas what he thinks. Doubting Thomas? Thomas falls on his knees and cries out, my Lord and my God. Ask Peter what he thinks. And in one of the greatest sermons preached, he says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Ask Jesus who he is, and he told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to pause here when I read the next few passages as we go through this. I'm going to pause, and there's one word I want you to read out loud with me. First and second service failed miserably at this. I'm hoping more of those that are awake. All right, are you ready? In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the Okay, well, that was a very good practice run, but I, I want it to make the tape, okay? So let's try this again. Jesus said, and I'm gonna, you're going to notice that this is not the only time he says it. I tell you the whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Notice, and we must break ourselves of this habit, to think that Christianity is about whether or not you're saved or not. No, it's about whether or not you're alive. Are you living in the kingdom or are you just trying to escape hell? Because Jesus doesn't use terms like saved and unsaved. He uses terms like death and life. I tell you the A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear him will live. You guys are so much better than those other services. John 8, 51. I tell you the If anyone keeps my words, he will never see So Jesus demonstrated this, right? And those around him who paid attention got it. And when they got it, they realized what at risk, what was at risk, was not just whether or not I'm going to heaven one day, but whether I'm living out the kingdom right now. And then Jesus came to change us through the truth. 
and this is my favorite part of today's sermon for me, is to see how Jesus used truth. First of all, truth encourages. I know it's awkward in our world today because most Christians aren't encouraging with the truth. They're condemning. And we're not being represented well by some of our brothers and sisters in the way we handle the truth. But Jesus, he often used it to lift people up. Matthew 17, 20. I tell you the If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. That's good news. Mark 9, 1. I tell you the Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. That gives me hope. That the kingdom of God is here now. He said to his disciples, some of you won't die before the kingdom is going to be shown. In the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost it was. So the truth encourages us. The truth also warns us. Matthew 18, 3. I tell you the Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. It's kind of harsh. Is he the truth? Would he lie? John 3, 3. I tell you the last one. Okay, let's give me one more good one. Okay, you guys are exhausted, I know. One more. I tell you the No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You see, the warning here is where our faith lives teeters between life and death. Is Jesus telling us the truth? Because if he is, his warning should be heeded and not explained away. Truth confronts. Winston Churchill, who I think was brilliant and very funny, former prime minister of England, said, every now and then a man will stumble over truth and usually he picks himself up and goes on hoping no one saw him. We've all done that, right? One of my favorite moments as a parent was walking into a, a big superstore uh, called Meyer back in the Midwest, and we were doing the one, two, three, we thing when we were taking Alex when he was just a little tot, and we'd do one, two, and whip him up in the air. We were walking in a grocery store. It was an icy winter day, and we were doing the one, two, three, we, and we set him down, and we looked over, and a lady was carrying a big, big basket of pop bottles. In Michigan, you don't throw them away. You return them for a dime. And she must have had $1,000 in her arms. And we did the one, two, three, we, and we set him down, and her feet went out from under her, and she spilled. And pop, can, or pop bottles went all over the parking lot. And I looked at my wife, and she gave me that threatening look she's apt to give me, like, don't you laugh. Because I'm sorry, it's funny. I didn't know if she was hurt or not. You're standing up, you're not. I'm going to laugh. Three stooges are my heroes. I'm not even apologizing. And I looked at her, and she's like, don't. And we looked down at Alex. He was on his knees. He couldn't breathe. He was laughing so hard. And I was like, my son, you know. We helped her up, and she laughed. And she's like, oh, I was hoping no one saw me. Lady, there's a thousand Coke bottles strewn all over the state. I think we saw you. Okay. What do we do when God confronts us with the truth? Do we say, stop it? Look at Mark 10. Jesus looked at this man and loved him. I love that. He loved him. He can confront with love. One thing you lack. Oh, how dare he tell someone they're not enough. Here's the point I want to make. If you don't have a God who can tell you you're wrong, then you are your God. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Notice what Jesus just did here. He said, if you take away the thing you're treasuring, I will give you something that can't be taken away from you. If you hold on to the thing you're treasuring, I can't give you what you want. 
See, in God's goodness, even when he confronts us, it's for our own good. Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Yikes. Jesus, your mother's the man. Oh, not really. Harsh. He said, no, no, Mary responded by faith and God used her, but God can use you the same way he used Mary. She's not greater than anyone. The ones who obey by faith are the ones who find greatness. It's a beautiful statement. Last thing is truth heals. So I want to show you the positives and negatives. We begin with encouragement, then we talk about warning and confrontation, and now we come to healing. The truth fixes us. There's a great story that C.S. Lewis wrote. Every preacher loves this illustration. It's one of the most powerful imageries in all the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's in the voyage of the Don Treader. There's a kid named Eustace, and Eustace is a punk. I mean, literally, he is the literary punk of all punks. He's not only a rough kid to love, he doesn't want you to love him, and he doesn't want to love you. And he spends this entire time digging and provoking and causing problems. He's selfish and egotistical, and he comes into this cave Uh, on this island, and he finds all these treasures. It's guarded by a dragon, and he lays in there dreaming of how he's going to keep this from everybody and treasure these things, and they're all going to be his. And he falls asleep, and he awakens, and he's become a dragon. And he takes his dragon claws, and he begins to tear away the scales. And he'll get a pile of scales, and he'll look back, and everything he tore away grew back. And he's devastated. He doesn't want to be a dragon. He wants to be a boy. And Aslan the lion confronts him. And Aslan sees what he's become, and so Aslan begins to breathe on him, and he takes his large claws, and he begins to tear off the scales from Eustace's body. And Eustace screams because the pain is like he's reaching into his heart, and he's pulling out his heart. And yet when he's done, he has stripped him of all the scales. And then in a beautiful image, so consistent with Scripture, Aslan takes Eustace into the water, and when he comes up out of the water, he's a little boy again. Why is that such a picture that preachers and teachers have used since C.S. Lewis wrote, is because it's a perfect image of what God does with this truth. Sometimes the truth of God feels like it's ripping out my heart, but all it's doing is restoring me back to the little boy he created me to become. It's a beautiful image of it. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That he is tearing away the scales so that we can come to life. Notice that Jesus never suggests a fix for us that's not related to our sin. If Jesus wanted to be popular and political, and I don't mean like in national politics, I mean in the use of power for his own purposes, he would have told us how wonderful we are, how much he loved us, and that we should just try harder. But he doesn't. He says you have to die. Die to sin to live with me. You have to kill the old person and its selfish desires and allow me to do that. And if you're not willing to die, you'll never live again. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He confronts our sin directly. And the truth does that. But in doing that, it heals us. And the last thing he does is Jesus not only corrects us, but there's a benefit to the correction. He offers us the benefits of truth. Have you ever noticed this about human nature? I could tell you that there are 300 billion stars in the atmosphere, and you would believe me, but if I told you don't touch that wall, it's wet paint, you'll go touch the wall. (laughs) What is it about human nature that we don't want the truth? Or we have to find out for ourselves. Because the truth is 
It's being contested today. And I'm not talking about outside of here or in Washington or in other countries. It's being contested in this room. And if we're honest with our hearts, we want some of the truth, but we don't want all the truth. Why? Because all the truth changes us. Yet I want to show you today the beauty of God's plan. Yes, there is one truth, and it must be bowed to. John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And that is the truth. You will not get to heaven because you're better than you used to be. You will not be blessed by God because you're better than your neighbor. A little bit of improvement is not what he's after. He wants a new you. Die to self and live to him. But because of the work of Jesus, look what we receive. His truth qualifies us for his gifts. Colossians 1.12 Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, in whom Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He qualifies us. How? By our belief and by our faith. I get weary, and I don't use that word to be poetic. I get weary with the number of people who want to argue against acts of obedience as if Jesus, by asking us to do that, was asking us for something, to do something we don't need to do. We are qualified by our obedience in faith to what Jesus asks us to do and to question what he asks us to do and say it's not important is a mistake. And I would caution anybody, including myself, from that. That's why we live in community and we hold ourselves. I am qualified by what Jesus did if I'll accept it. Secondly, his truth rescues us from the power of evil. Some points in a sermon write themselves. Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That he's the one who will bring me out of my spiral of slavery and death into life. And his truth transfers us into his kingdom. Colossians 1.13, and he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Paul would also write to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I am no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The challenge here is to take this truth. Remember, I said at the beginning, and I need to say it again, we were not given the truth so that we would be right, some intellectual superiority. We were given the truth so that we could enter into the kingdom of heaven and invite others to join us in praising, worshiping, and honoring our God. And the way we know how to do that is when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's what he brought us. You see, today's word is faithfulness. To what? To Jesus, to his commands to his expectations, to his resurrection and hope. You see, we've told you that last year when we began talking about the opportunities in front of a growing church, that God has allowed us to become larger with more resources, more talent, and more opportunities, that we, he didn't give us those things so we would hoard them out here in Orinogo. He gave them to us so that we could be a blessing throughout the world. And we believe that those the things we're to return to is creating life in Christ, developing discipleship and growth, and investing in future generations. And those are the three standards that we place before this congregation, and you responded wonderfully. And we have a year to fulfill that. So how do we live this truth out? I'd like to show you that it fits those same categories. 
I'd like to give you three things that you can do with truth today that will allow you to take it out of the sock drawer and begin to carry it with you and allow it to be useful and guiding and instructive. First of all, experience the life available to you in Jesus. And if you want nothing more, just write down sock drawer next to that. And let's stop living in that and start going into all the world. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Live out the fullness of the truth. Create life in yourself and in others. Secondarily, keep the pattern of truth. Develop growth. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul wrote to a young preacher, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Notice those four things are what Jesus did with the truth. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Keep growing. Take the word, meditate on the word, read your scriptures, and when you come across a command, when you come across a change in attitude, when you come across an action, live it out. Because Paul told a young preacher, Timothy, the word of God is living and active and makes a difference. Let it. Let the truth win out. And lastly, invest the truth in others. It's so easy to say this, but one of the things I love about this church, and, and after I arrived here and and just heard the stories of the history of this church, I was just amazed. Sometime in the 1980s, on a Sunday night service, the leadership of this church made a big, big commitment. That they wanted to be a church that all generations could worship in, that spoke the language of the generation, but preached the truth of Christ. And they had some people who, who left, some that even came back. But they were willing to stand their ground and say, we want a place where our children, our grandchildren, and families of all generations can gather together and worship Jesus Christ without all the stuff that we don't need. Just focus on that. That's the church, isn't it? And I don't say that, that Christ Church of Orinoco is better than any of the church. It's not. If you saw behind the curtain, you'd realize there's a lot of problems. But I love that we all agree on this. The word of God is the will of God, and it must be communicated. And God is honoring Together, what is being taught to your children today, what's being taught on Wednesday nights for our families, it's impacting generations. Listen to how prevalent that is in the New Testament. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart to God. To gather together. A generation singing the songs of faith and singing from our hearts who God is. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You know, that's why we're investing in India. To send pastors into communities with the gospel of Jesus. That's why we're sending our students to things like Christ and Youth Move or Superstarter Believe. So that they can learn 
from teachers, that it's not just in this place it's being taught, but throughout the world it's being taught. It's why we invest in Ozark Christian College, to send a group of of young preachers and teachers and servants into the world. It's why we're investing at Pitt State and Missouri Southern in their campus ministries to help students that are seeking knowledge to understand that there's a greater form of knowledge, and all they learn in the classroom is a tool by which God can make them effective in ministry. When you give to this church, you're not giving to some $9.3 million total. You're giving to change lives that are happening all around you to the glory of God. Because when we're all gone, and one day we will be, what difference will our investments have made in the future? First Peter 3, Peter says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. God has given you life. He's given you talents. He's given you treasures. He's given you time. And he gave us the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Let us carry that truth out into our everyday lives and watch the difference it makes. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.